Hi, I'm Marcelo, a 56-year-old guy who decided midlife to switch careers after 30-plus years in the tech industry to filmmaking, pursuing a lifelong dream I had since my teenage years. I thought, if not now, then when? So follow me in this journey as I speak with other filmmakers all about how to make a living in filmmaking, the technologies we need to know, how to tell a good story, and much more. So welcome to another episode of Transitioning to Filmmaking. today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Noah Chameau, film and VFX editor, all about the life of a VFX editor, including what skills they have, what they actually do with VFX, and much more. But before we get started, if you're watching this on YouTube, remember to subscribe to my channel, click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit the like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai, and tell me why. Finally, remember to visit my site, creativespark.ai, for more podcast episodes, tutorials, and to read my daily journal where I post how my transition to filmmaking is going. All right, let's bring on Noah. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Well, why don't we start out with uh, your background? Um, how did you get into editing? How did you get into uh, the filmmaking industry, the whole thing? So I've always wanted to be in the industry. Um you know, I was, I was one of those kids that wanted to be, I wanted to be a director in hindsight, I would be a very bad director. Uh, but I wanted to be a director, uh, went through college, um, majored in film, um, and realized that I was interested in post through sort of a combination of, um, of internships that I did in college. So I had, I did an internship uh, my sophomore year and then a second one my junior year. One of them was in pre-production. Um, actually, both of them were in pre-production. And I sort of realized through that experience, um, while I have a lot of respect for everybody that works in pre-production, it just didn't really feel like the place for me. It felt like in some ways the... Um, social aspects of the job were more important than the um this the 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 technical abilities the technical abilities yeah. exactly um and i also uh while i was down here doing those internships i um i worked as a background actor uh working on um i worked on like uh the show Entourage I did background on it was it I was background in the movie uh Hancock um and what I what I realized through that experience is that I enjoyed being on set but I also didn't really enjoy the what I, I what I usually refer to as the hurry up and wait um feeling of it where it's sort of like everything is really, really slow until it is, until it's not. And then it's like, everything needs to happen immediately. Right. It's sort of like that, you know, it, it's either, it's either nothing going on and you're bored out of your mind or you have no time at all and you're going crazy. And I didn't really like that, that sort of, 
the two extremes were all I was really experiencing. And I wasn't even really doing anything, but yeah. that sort of watching, you know, at, as a background actor, I was on set and I got to watch everybody and everybody was just going crazy until things were slow. And then they were like on their phones with nothing to do back then. It wasn't necessarily on their phones, but um, so I didn't really like sort of that dichotomy of being on set. Um, but while I was in college, I did a, I participated in a, a camp, an on camp. I went to UC Santa Cruz. I participated in an on-campus news program called Banana Slug News. And through that, I realized that I really liked post-production um, because we would, we would shoot stories and then we would, uh, we would, I would bring those stories into my editing system and I would cut everything together and, and I really liked the computer aspect of it. I've always been in the computers and I really liked the video aspect of it. Um, and sort of through that experience, sort of realized that post-production was a great, a perfect fit. Um, so once I graduated from college, uh, I decided that post-production was the way that I wanted to go. Um, and did you go through you because you mentioned you were editing did you immediately go into editing or did you go the pa route and and ae and, and well so i knew i've never been I, i've always wanted to work in the industry mm -hmm. um a lot of people get started by working on like independent films or something like that um i was not i, I oddly enough despite the fact that I'm a VFX editor and I've been edit adjacent, I'll call it, um, for 13 years since I started working in the industry, I'm a very bad editor. When you talk <laughs> about traditional editing, you know, taking a bunch of footage and putting it into something that someone would want to watch, not very good at that. Um, I'm very good at the technical stuff. Um, I'm very good at video codecs and video formats and time code. And all of the all the stuff that no one cares about is what well, I'm I'll tell you in. because I'm I'm in class two right at um, UCLA in in an avid class and we just finished a whole bunch of stuff all about story editing and and we got into media management where the teacher was like okay this is the boring part guys for me it wasn't the boring part for me it was right. the, this is where I'm like yes I love yeah. this stuff so I can exactly. totally relate to what you're saying yeah so yeah exactly. So I always, I, I was always more interested in, um, I, I wasn't so interested in actually editing. I was more interested in post-production in general. Um, and so for me, I, I just wanted to get into the industry in post. And so, yes, you mentioned a PA. That was actually my first foray into the industry was I worked as a post-production assistant. Um, I was fortunate enough, uh, through a connection, of course, uh, I was able to get a uh, job as a post-production assistant on a pilot back in uh, pilot season of 2010. Um, and through that experience, I learned a lot. Um, I learned, I'd say the biggest thing that I got from it um, was my interest in <laughs> automation. Uh, and sort of the the idea of making the computer work for you um because I, while i i was work i was working on i worked on 
a pilot called Chase. Um, but then Chase, when Chase got picked up, uh, my post producer from the pilot didn't get picked up with the show. So I ended up moving on to uh, the show Parenthood also as a post PA. Um, but there's sort of this weird um, situation with, uh, with, with the union and, and becoming an editor, an assistant editor, where in order to join the union, you have to have a certain number of union hours. Um, and I, as a post PA, because I wasn't in the union, I could only do certain things on the machines. I couldn't, I couldn't actually the avid as they call it, which is just a computer running. Right. I like how they say the, I don't know why they say the avid. It's just, they say the avid because it used to be a box that cost $150,000 and there was only one or two per facility. You know, now, now you can run it on your laptop. Yeah. Um, so when you say the avid, it's, it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, so because it was a union project, there was, there was, there were, there weren't that many things that I could do on the system. I wasn't supposed to be touching media composer. Um, but there was one thing where, um, we had an issue where, uh, we, we had to get out a DVD. You can already tell how long ago this was. (laughs) Uh, we had to get out a DVD and a file at the same time. Um, and the problem was that the DVDs had to be playback played back real time. Um, and the file had to be made from, uh, basically at least the way that they were doing it before I stepped in was they were playing back the DVD real time. And then they were exporting a file from Avid once that DVD was complete. And the whole process was taking like probably three to four hours, um, for like an hour, maybe hour and a half show. Um, it might not have been that long, but it took a long time, um, because we're talking about really old computers. Um, And I looked at it and I mean, nobody necessarily asked my opinion, but I I thought this is taking much longer than it needs to. And so I asked my boss if I could like, maybe just try to make it faster. Um, And so I looked into options and I figured out a way to make it so that we could play we could play back the file and at the same time, sorry, play back the video and at the same time generate the file that would then um, get uploaded to whatever service and whatever in the background all while the playback was happening. So that by the time the playback was done, the, um, the file had been created and had already been uploaded to the service that it was supposed to go to um, and ended up, taking the playback the time, time of the file instead of like three hours. Right. So um, that's about as much as I was able to do on that show as far as like working on the systems just because mm-hmm. of uh, because of the union. Um, but it was a great experience. And through that, I sort of realized how much I enjoyed working with the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, I went on to... Uh, I wanted to, I thought at the time that I wanted to edit. I wanted to be an assistant editor. And what I knew was scripted assistant editing. Uh, And so I left Parenthood. 
Um, and I went off to try to become a scripted assistant editor. Um, as I mentioned before, um, with the, in order to join the union, you have to be union to be on uh, a union project. Uh, you have to have a certain number of non-union hours. And my time as a post PA absolutely did not count. So I had to figure out how I was going to get my non-union hours. I honestly don't know who suggested it, um, but I ended up looking. I ended up looking into reality TV, uh, and I looked on a Facebook forum, and they were having sort of what I guess what you could call sort of a cattle call for assistant editors, um, and they had this whole checklist of things that you should know and. I definitely fudge some of the knowledge that I claim to have. <laughs> um, they said that you need, at the time it was called a, an avid ISIS. And they said that you needed to have, you know, experience with an ISIS. And I knew what, I knew what an ISIS was. And I figured maybe that was enough. Uh, <laughs> so I, I went in for the interview for that and I got that, that job. And I remember the following day after, or, you know, with the, my, on my first day at the, at the, company um it became painfully clear that i did not know what they had wanted me to know when i started um and so those first days were rough because it i got hired with a bunch of people who knew a lot more than i did mm. um and so naturally if they were going to get rid of anybody it felt like i was going to be the first person to go um but they stop me! Stop me at any time if you want no, to move no, no, on. No, 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 that's cool. But they stuck with or, you. Uh, well, so what happened was um, it was an interesting company, uh, and they had uh, they had an online editor on staff who was actually only a couple years older than me at the time. I was like 24, 25, um, and he was maybe thirty, uh, and he was really technical. Uh, and like knew a lot about computers and I was the same way, but I didn't know anything about Avid. Um, so he and I sort of bonded about that, about the mm. fact that I, I was very technical. So like if he would talk about, you know, you know, take this file and create a DVD and do this and this and that, as long as it didn't in involve media composer, there were things that I could help him out with. Right. Um, and so he sort of took me, it's funny because I I've told this story many times and this was what I had always assumed he how how he saw it. And I actually had uh, I had dinner with him like a week ago for the first time in 12 years. Um, and he confirmed that I had read the situation correctly and this is what happened. Uh, but anyway, um, he sort of took me under his wing and um, and he sort of made me his assistant online editor, even though I really didn't know how to do any of the stuff I needed to know. He showed me everything that I needed to know because he saw that I was a fairly quick learner and that he didn't have to tell me things multiple times. Um, and the funny thing about that was as soon as they started letting people go, I was not the first person to go. In fact, I think they hired something like six people and within like four months, I was the only person left because 
I had stayed on as sort of his assistant. Um, so your technical so abilities probably helped quite a bit there. My technical abilities were the only reason that right. I was kept on staff. And I, th and I find that lacking a lot in in filmmakers, right? Because they focus, rightly so, they focus so much on storytelling, which it makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about storytelling, that there are the, many filmmakers lack that technical ability. So they tend to, you know, try to partner up with somebody that's technical so they can take care of all that kind of stuff. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah, what, it makes Where sense. I think people run into problems though, and what I've seen is that in order to get to the place where you don't need to be technical, you most likely will have to be technical right. at the beginning. So, for example, if you want to be an editor, you could try to be an editor and then just make your way up from editing, you know, student films to editing feature films. But that's going to be a rough road mm -hmm. because the two aren't necessarily even connected. Right. There's no direct path from editing a UCLA student film to, you right. know, editing the next Transformers movie. Right. Um, if you want, like, if somebody were to, to ask, to say to me, I want to eventually be an editor, I would, I would not ever say, go edit something, which is, sounds really weird because you'd think, like, you want to be an editor, go edit. Um, but the way that the industry works is that the way that you become an editor is by supporting an editor. And supporting an editor means being the person who takes all of that off of the editor's plate so that they don't have to worry about all the technical stuff. So usually in order to become an editor to, you know, where you no longer need to focus on story or sorry, where, where you no longer need to on focus the on the technical, um, you have to, along the way, you have to, you know, learn all of that technical stuff right. so that you can help an editor and then eventually become one yourself. And what I, what I, one of the probably biggest, one of the things that I like to see the least in an assistant editor is a, a, a sort of a resentment of the technical. Somebody who, who finds it annoying that they can't just edit, you know? From an assistant, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's... It that's, seems odd to me that an assistant editor would find the technical annoying since, like you said, it seems like most of their job would be around the technical aspects of the organization of the media, obviously, but then the technical aspects of Avid, which are extensive if you really get into Avid, right? The yeah. Avid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then, again, I guess I didn't really say this, but it really also depends on whether you're talking about scripted or unscripted right. TV or features. Um, but yeah, one of like, I actually, uh, I hadn't mentioned this yet, but I teach a program called Assistant Editors Bootcamp. Right. And I yeah. teach people how to become an assist assistant editors. And the students that I like the most are the ones that have the most interest in the technical because that is the job. If you're an assistant editor, you you have no concern with the story, none whatsoever. Whether the show is good or bad is not a concern of yours. What you should be concerned with is whether the footage is correctly organized, whether it's in the correct format. Um, you know, all of the technical information that the editor should not care at all about is your domain. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's let's do a, a switch here. So obviously we talked about being an AE, being an editor, the progression from po, uh, PA. Um, let's talk a little bit about VFX editor. So explain what is a VFX editor and what is the difference between a VFX editor? And because a lot of people think, okay, either they're editing or they're doing VFX. But why don't you tell us what, what is the reality of a VFX editor? Sure. So a VFX editor is a position um, that is usually only, um, I would say, only available on larger projects uh, because in concept, it's really part of the editing process. Uh, what a VFX editor does is keeps track of all of the shots within the show that have visual or that will become visual effects, keeps track of all of the associated media and creates all the temporary visual effects that get cut into the show uh, that eventually get replaced by final visual effects from a vendor. So, so let's talk a little bit on the temp effects. What do you mean by temp effects? Are you working with, I mean, are you creating like like um, lower quality VFX and the final effects just so they can visualize it? Yes, that's exactly right. So what you're doing as a VFX editor is you will, you'll, you'll talk to the editor um, or sometimes even like the producer or director and you'll find out, first of all, what's supposed to be going on in the scene. Um, you know, is there, um, I mean, you know, just basic, the basic concept of what the visual effects are supposed to be. Um, and then usually you'll start working and then, uh, ask any relevant questions about, you know, should it be this way? Should it be that way? Um, and th for the most part, the editor will be your critique, your critic. Um, so the editor will, uh, like, I will create a version of a shot and I will send it to the editor and I'll say, is this what you had in mind? Hmm. And then he or she will say yes or no. So and you're usually working very I'll start closely with, with the editor. Yes, absolutely. Usually I'll just start with one shot because you wouldn't, what you're doing is unlike an editor, I'm not working with raw camera masters. I'm actually working with what the editor has already done. So if the editor has cut together a scene with, let's say, 10 shots, a shot is like, you know, cameras here, camera cuts to here. Mm -hmm. The first shot would be cameras here. Second shot would be camera cuts to here. Right. right. So the editor has already cut together a scene and that scene is going to have visual effects, but they're going to be different in each frame because you're going to have like, you know, different perspectives or different um lighting or you know things like that so usually you want to nail down a look first so what i what i would usually do is i'd start with a single shot and then i would do sort of a temp temp um and show that to the editor and say is this what you had in mind and if the editor has notes on it i would do a new version and then eventually the editor will say yeah that looks good can you just temp out the entire scene and then from there, I will go ahead and I will render out each shot individually. I will bring them into, I will either bring them into something like After Effects, or if it's a basic fix, it'd have to be really basic, like a paint out or uh, some, tracking something in. I will just do it within Media Composer. 
Um, so let me ask you a question on this. So from a workflow perspective, uh, the editor is in Avid. You have access to the same project, I'm assuming, and you're both working on, he's working on scene five, but there's two shots in scene five that require VFX. So you're inside Avid, same project on your end, obviously. We're looking at scene five, the sequence, right? Where the shots yeah. are. Um, right. And either you're going to decide to work on the temp effects, doing them directly in Avid, or you render out that scene, you actually export it out and bring it into After Effects. Yeah, but I usually won't render out the entire scene because mm. what you what you don't want to do is you don't want you don't want to lock the shot in to the range that the editor is currently cutting. So okay. what I'll do instead is I'll usually render out what what's similar to what the the vendor will be receiving, which is a plate, which basically just means the shot, but with frames handles at either side. Right. Because I want to make sure that if the cut changes, I don't have to go back and re-render everything if they roll it a frame or two at the head or tail. Uh, so you're rendering out in a sequence, you may have four shots. You're rendering around that one shot that requires it, the whole shot, doing your VFX on that. And then they're using that and they have the handles to be able to re-edit the scene yeah. with your temp VFX already. Right. Yeah, so, so I would not rendering would, out the entire scene of the sequence because they could change it, and now you have to go back and change it yourself. Exactly. So, so you become a new version of that shot, basically, for them to bring into the sequence. Yes. Okay. That's exactly that right. Um, and sometimes I will do it that way with with After Effects. Uh, if it's a basic fix that can be done in Avid, then I will actually do it in the timeline. And honestly. That's my preference as far as workflow goes, because sometimes the editor, it, it, I mean, it, it actually depends on the editor. Um, some editors are very good with effects and some don't want anything to do with Avid effects. Right. Uh, so if the editor's good with Avid effects and can manipulate them, him or herself, then I can actually do the effects in Media Composer and then if there are changes, let's say that, you know, um, let's say that a shot gets rolled out a couple frames, uh, as long as there aren't, con you know, constant keyframes that keep changing throughout the scene, then the editor could just roll that effect out him or herself, and I wouldn't need to render a new version. Whereas if I do it in After Effects, uh, I will have to render out the handles ahead of time right. and, you know... Um, and that's and actually changes you have to do it back in after effect. Yeah. So a, a good example of that, um, the last show that I worked on, uh, we had a scene where, um, there was a screen comp and we were watching something on a TV. Mm, okay. Uh, and the first, like probably six times that I comped that shot, I did it in after effects. Um, but I kept having to redo it over and over again because the editor wanted to keep changing the photos. It was a montage video. I see. And the editor wanted to keep changing the photos that were in the montage video. Mm. And every time I had to go into After Effects, I had to open it up, I had to change the photo, I had to do you know whatever yeah. in the effects panel. And then I had to render, render it out, out, bring it into Avid, cut it in. And after like six or seven times, I was like, can't I just do this in Avid? And so I spent maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes rebuilding the whole thing in Avid 
so that the editor could just go in and swap out the images, his, him or her, actually it was a, uh, herself. Um, and I didn't, I didn't even have to be involved. And just from curiosity sake, I'm, I'm thinking it's a green screen with a mask and then you put in the pictures underneath it. Is that what it ultimately was? You yeah, said it that's was effectively a, what it is. Something like that. And, and do you, did you like, like maybe nest it? So then they just control the yeah. images in a different uh, exactly. timeline? Yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So then you can do, because I wanted to ask you, where do you draw the line of as to where you make the VFX? Do you do, when do you say, I'm going to do this in, in Avid, or you say, mm, I think I need something more VFX oriented, like After Effects? I try, I mean, so if I have to create, like, if I have to create something that's not part of an image, like if I have to, like on on my last show, for example, we had a character that would shoot blood. Um, and the blood itself was not, like we didn't have an image of the blood for me to, to comp in. It had to be some kind of effect. And because of that, I could, there was really no way for me to do those effects in Avid. I had to do them in After right. Effects. Um, but I will, to some extent, try to do everything in Avid. Um, and then I will tr wait until it fails and then move on, move on to After Effects. It makes sense. Um, just because to me, I just, it just feels like I should be able to do everything in Avid. I know I can't. Um, and I know that there are limits to what I can do, but I like to test those limits. Um, just so that I can know better in the future what's possible and what's not. Do you depend on plugins in Avid to help you with that, to, to push that limit, like plugins from different companies? So I haven't so far. Okay. Um, I mean, we have, like, we have Boris and Sapphire. We right. have them on that show. I didn't use them a ton. What show um, was this? Can you can you share it? Yeah, sure. I, I worked on the show Gen V for Amazon. Right. Which is um, uh, post The Boys, right? Yes, it is a spin-off. I started of watching the boys. it, by the way. Great yeah, show. You liked it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you also yeah. did, if, it, if I can mention, if it's okay, Hunters, right? I did. Yeah, so yeah. I did Hunters that was an season awesome two. Show. Yep. Yeah, that show was much simpler. <laughs> yeah, uh, that show was a lot of paint outs, a lot of um, a lot of green screen removal. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing particularly complicated and most of that did you do on avid or after effects actually with that show um i came in kind of late in the process and mm -hmm. almost all of the temps had been done by the assistant editors oh so okay. for the most part on that show my job was just tracking and sending plates and reviewing shots now um, when you say tracking can you explain that a little bit more yeah, so that would be tracking visual effect shots. So if you have, let's say you have a scene and um, you get the scene for the first time, uh, you look for any effects that either are already in there um, or that the editor tells you need to be in there. Uh, and over time, I mean, initially, like when I first receive a scene, I will do the temp effects uh, and I will hand it back to the editor and I won't do any, what I would call tracking, which I'll explain in just a second. Uh, 
once we get further into the process where it looks like we're getting closer to locking the show, I will go through the entire show and I will identify everything that's a visual effect shot or will be a visual effect shot. And I will give it a, a code, which is basically just um, a series of, of digits that are based on the, on the show. Um, and then either a name for the scene or a scene number and then a shot number. And then um, as we go, uh, I, it's my job to, to check every time there's a new cut that goes out and identify all of the visual effect shots that either got longer, got removed, or that need to change for some reason. And that's what, what is referred to as tracking visual effects. Let me ask you a question. This may be a simple question, a dumb question on my part, but um, how do you know what is a visual effect? So let me give you an, as an example. If you have green screen, obviously you know there's gonna be a visual effect, so that's plain and simple. But let's say, um, I don't know, uh, maybe there's there's a wire removal, but you don't know that it's, I mean, you may think it's part of the scene. Like, how do you identify you as the VFX editor, identify that this is a VFX scene that or scene that requires VFX? Sure. So what I would do is I would watch through the episode. I would note anything that is clearly visual effects. Rain. And I would, I would write that down. And then I would note anything that I think either could or should be visual effects. Got it. Okay. So if I see like, if I see a reflection, right. I would note that. If I see, um, if I see a wire in the background. Through. Right. Okay. But I'm not sure, is that wire practical? Like, right. is it is it set dressing? Or is it actually part of, like, uh, you know, some kind of setup Special for the camera or remove. whatever? Right. right. So what I would do is I would note all that stuff, mm. and I would either go through it with the, uh, the editor or assistant editor and say, hey, I saw this stuff. Do you know if this is practical? Or even before that, I would probably check with the post supervisor. Got it. And usually, we will we will go through the show as a as a team, the post you supervisor, and the post supervisor, yeah. me, the post supervisor, and the coordinator, and we will look for anything that could and should be VFX. Got it. Then we will assign that a a, a shot name. Got it. So then your job isn't just marking them, but it's also telling people, hey, potentially, I think this could be. Yes. That is there's a reflection the there that shouldn't be there. Yes. Um, yeah. So part, yeah, part of what I do is I go through the show and I look for anything that should be VFX. So attention um, to detail is extremely important. Absolutely. For VFX, yeah. Um, like so, anal, being anal. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes that will be a production fix. Like, yeah like a boom shadow or something like that. And it's right. really useful if you can identify that stuff early because the further it gets into the process, like if you're already, if you're, if you've already got shots being delivered and then you notice something, it's much more complicated to get that shot into the pipeline than if you notice it when you first watch the show. Mm -hmm. So I always watch it with a fine tooth comb the very first time and look for everything I possibly can. Um, and Do you it, mark, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions as, as you're telling me all this stuff. It's just so interesting to me. Do you mark it in the timeline of Avid itself as you're watching this? Like, do you add a marker that says, hey, yes. reflection here? Hey, you yes. know, the hand tip, the tip That's of the That's exactly finger. what I do. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and 
And if you're on a, a show with some sort of historical context, there's a lot more because you have to look for anachronisms, which I actually really enjoy looking for. Uh, so like, you know, if somebody is, you know, supposed to be at a phone booth and you see the name AT&T with the modern logo, like that's something that would mm. probably have to be painted out. Um, or, you know, if it's supposed to take place in the past. Right, 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 right. Um, so does that mean that you r read the script prior to even reviewing the footage just to know what the heck's going on here? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we get the scripts, um, even we get the scripts at the very beginning. Got it. And yeah, read through the scripts. Um, it's not as an, as a VFX editor, it's not my job to identify what should be a VFX shot. That's already been done before mm -hmm. I even get there. Um, but the script is helpful to understand the context of the scenes right. that you're going to be receiving because you're not going to see a, a cut together version of the show until maybe like three months in at best. Uh, and so if you have context for what's going on in the scene, it, it really helps you understand what things should look like. And, and, you know, it helps inform your decisions about how you're, what you're doing with the VFX in the scene. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, from from knowledge perspective, somebody that wants to be a VFX editor, um, obviously they need to know Avid, but how much VFX do they really need to know? So one thing that was interesting about the, the last show that I was on, and I can only speak to this anecdotally. Um, I didn't mention this, but I've only... Uh, the, the show that I was on, Gen V, um, was my first... What well, was my first show with the official title of VFX editor? Uh, when I worked on Hunters, I was actually a VFX assistant editor, although it's a difference without a, or it's a designation without a difference. Um, I, my job was exactly the same. It was just a way, working as a VFX assistant editor was just a way for them to honestly pay less. Um, so does that mean there was a VFX editor too, or no, so a VFX assistant editor to the editor? Basically, it's it's basically a way for them Wait, to. I'm pay trying me. to figure out it. It's not like an AE to a, uh, an editor. No, so small shows that do not have a ton of visual effects will hire the the VFX editor as an assistant editor, so that uh, they can pay less money. Jobs. They can and pay a lower rate. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, as a, a an assistant VFX editor. Oh, I see. But without okay. a VFX editor. Uh, <laughs> so okay. it's basically an excuse to pay okay. you a, a, an assistant Less. editor rate, yeah. but do the same job. Got it. So on Hunters, I was a an assistant visual effects editor, and then um, and then with Gen V, I was fortunate enough to be able to be bumped up to an actual visual effects editor. What I was getting at is that this job that I was just on, Gen V, was actually only my second project as a visual effects editor of any kind. Um, and so the all I can speak to as far as what you need to know is what I've heard and what I needed to know on those two projects. Because what I needed to know on Gen V, according to what I've heard, is very different from every other show that every other VFX editing project out there. Because on Gen V, we were in charge of 
basically creating visual effects that were close to, I mean, I'm not going to say close to final, but like good enough that somebody wouldn't look at it and say that looks bad. The, the visual effects were supposed to be, were not supposed to be distracting. I'll put it that way. Um, and because of that, we had like the temps had to be, sorry, I, 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 that whole time I was talking about temps. Um, which is mainly what I create as a visual effects. Right. Um, so the temps had to be very, very good, um, which if I understand it correctly in a lot of the rest of the industry is not really the way that it works on most shows. The temps are just meant to sort of convey what's supposed to be happening. They're not necessarily supposed to act as like actual, first drafts of the visual effects which is how it was on how it was done on gen v so with gen v i i really had to brush up on my after effects skills um because they wanted stuff to look i mean i'm not going to say close to final but mm -hmm. they wanted it to look almost like it was a first draft versus just something that gets the point across right um oh, so, so I mean, with, yeah go ahead, oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was going to say, so that means that you really have to, as a VFX editor, you should know at a minimum After Effects really well because it depends on the job too, right? I mean... It definitely depends on the job. And and I know that when they were... I was the first person hired onto that show. And I remember when they were looking for a second VFX editor, a lot of people actually turned the show down because they didn't want to do that level of temp work. Mm. Because apparently it's not that common to have to do temp work at that level. Most shows, the temps are sort of an afterthought to the actual tracking and sending out uh, um, plates and doing and reviewing shots, which is sort of widely considered the bread and butter of the job. So why would they not want to do that? It seems that, or, is it that they didn't want to do it or is it that they didn't know how to do it? Because to me, no, it seems I think it's that... more that people didn't want to do it. Hmm. Um, just because I think, I mean, I can only guess. Yeah, of course. But um, I think that it's just not that it's, it's most shows don't require temps at that level. And I think because of that, a lot of people haven't really, a lot of visual effects editors have focused more on, tracking the you know on their on their tracking workflows than on their ability to create temps in after effects yeah so that means that most of them really don't want to move because i could see moving from a vfx editor to actual a vfx person right i know a vfx artist it seems if you're if you're doing this that is close to first draft right yeah um I could see somebody taking the next level and saying, okay, I want to actually work on the effects now. I mean, that could happen. Um, and actually sometimes on shows to save a buck, they will ask the VFX editor if he or she will do some final VFX shots. Mm. Usually they would just be simple stuff like paint outs or um, uh, stabilizes or you know, just very basic stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's also when, when you get into 
the level of visual effects that we were doing on that show, it's not, you're not talking about after effects. You're talking about programs like nuke and oh, you know, high level stuff that after effects cannot even come close to. And that's a total different. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a very different field. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say there is some crossover in that some visual effects editors do like to do final shots Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't be doing the kind of final shots that you see on screen and say, oh, that's a visual effect shot. Right. They'd be doing the stuff that's invisible just because, you know, that's sort of the same the same level of skill that's required of temps. Like painting stuff out, rotoscoping things. Exactly. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, no, we're getting pretty close to the end here and I have. 59,000 more questions for you. So we're not going to get to them, but this has been great. I do want to put a couple of questions together is somebody that wants to get into being a VFX editor. What do you recommend? But I want to combine that with also um, changes in technology, for example, artificial intelligence. How do you see that position also changing? What do you recommend for people that want to get into today uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen 10, 15 years from now, right? Everything changes so quickly. But today, what do you recommend that they know, that they learn? How do they move into this field if they want to do that? And how do you um, help them adjust to the changes coming with AI and all these other tools? Right, right. So I would say as far as, um, as far as, I lost my train of thought. Just one second. Uh, as far as how to get into it. Um, I would say that the the natural precursor to VFX editing is assistant editing in scripted projects. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like that's sort of the same path as, um, well, I, I guess kind of fortunately. Um, so I'm, I'm, I mentioned this briefly, but I run a program called Assistant Editors Bootcamp. Um, and the idea behind assistant editors bootcamp is that we try to teach people to get into post-production. Um, and the, the sort of end goal, uh, as far as, I mean, not the end goal, but sort of the point that we, we try to get people to, um, is becoming scripted assistant editors. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way that we do that is, uh, through getting them into reality assistant editing. Um, and as I mentioned before, scripted assistant editing is sort of a, a natural precursor to visual effects editing. So I would say that the path to visual effects editing, at least in my mind, would go through reality TV, uh, which would be that you sort of start out in reality TV, you move your way into scripted as an assistant editor, and then you move your way into visual effects editing. Um, oddly enough, I never worked as a scripted assistant editor, but I did every other possible job adjacent to that. So I know what an, what a scripted assistant editor does on the technical side. And so I don't, you know, it's not a problem for me that I haven't done that job. Um, but for somebody that is trying to get into it, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Um, and as far as AI and things like that, I think as a VFX editor, as I mentioned before a large part of your job is creating all of these temp these temp shots, um, and one of the things that AI is really really good at is taking uh, an idea and turning it into an image, 
So um, if, for example, somebody says we need a guy running down the street on fire, um, you could like before AI, you could look for stock footage of that and you might find it. But the stock footage that you find might be the wrong angle. It might it might not look anything like the character that is supposed to be on fire. It, you know, all of these things, um, all of these things that you would have no control over, basically. Um, and so your temp would like, you know, let's say it's supposed to be um, a character who's wearing a red dress and she's supposed to be running down the street on fire. Uh, I mean, well, ideally, they shot footage of the actress running down the street and you just have to add fire to her. But theoretically, let's say they didn't they didn't do that. And, and you're just adding a, a shot where you see the character on fire. Um, in the old days, you would have had to find that stock footage. And, and that would be very complicated because you'd have to find someone in a red dress. On That's top. very specific. Yeah. Right. Now, with things like Adobe Firefly and the new right. functionality in, um, in After Effects, you, could just, you can literally type in woman in red dress on fire. Yeah. And it will generate something for you that with some tweaking could probably work as a temp. Right. Um, and so it's gone from basically your, it's basically gone from, and, and the dress on fire example was actually pretty bad. Um, you could think about anything. For example, the, the, uh, with, um, with uh, Gen V, we had all the all these blood powers one of the character characters had, and we had to create all these different shapes of blood, mm -hmm. and we did it with like Photoshop, but it was really clunky because we started off with like a specific shape, and then we just like moved it in like you know stretched it into yeah. this shape or stretched it into that shape. But with AI, you could just say like you know uh, icicle made of blood. Right. And then and then you could hit it and you could hit generate again and you get a different shape and generate again mm -hmm. and get a different shape, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so you could just take all of those and you could use those as, you know, part of your temp Temps. process. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, th I, I mean, I think that's where AI is going to be very useful and already is. I didn't use it very much on my last project, but I definitely will be using it on my next one uh, to sort of fill in these areas where you're dealing with something that's more conceptual and not actually something that's physically uh, that was physically shot something something that will eventually be done by you know as a 3d object you're not necessarily creating anything in 3d but you could you know type in uh, whatever you want and then you would get that from the the whichever program you're using that has the yeah. AI integration. I, I love that you said that because I think what you're ultimately saying is uh, to to people getting into this is learn learn the tools available out there, the AI tools available out there. One, one tool I've been playing a lot with, I don't know if you've played with it yet, it's called Face Fusion, but definitely you could use it as a temp for de-aging. It's, it's amazing. It runs locally on your computer. Uh, no, I, I have can, not. Okay, I, I'll give you a little tour of it. Uh, in right. fact, I'm writing an article on it. But 
it's pretty crazy and it runs locally on your machine. So you're not putting it in the cloud. You're not putting footage out there that, you know, other people can steal. This is all running locally in your machine. Now, does it do perfect? Um, wait, it's a face replacement, right? So you can de-age right. it or you can make him older or you can make him into a monster or whatever. But I think that's a perfect usage of a tool like that where, no, it won't give you the final, the final VFX, but it'll give you the temp VFX that they can visualize exactly. and then the... Right. the the VFX house can then do the real thing, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. definitely. I, I, I think that aspect of it is only going to get better and better um, because you know you have to. There are ideas out there that you have to sort of um, put together, and then you can use that information to sort of build this this uh, environment based right. on you know these AI tools. Yep, definitely. Well, Noah, we're we're out of time. Um, it flew by quickly. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, real quick, you said you do the um, AE assistant uh, um, or the assistant editor, editor boot camp. camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, maybe mention a little. Do you have a URL for that? Yeah, it's just assist boot camp. At, uh, sorry, that's the email. It's uh, assistbootcamp.com, uh, and it's a program that myself and a colleague of mine have been running since 2017. Um, the idea behind it is, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the whole um, getting into the union thing, uh, you have to have a certain number of hours, but uh, no one's really willing to give you those hours because they already expect you to have the knowledge that you would otherwise get at the job when you interview. Um, and so we sort of started the program to help people know what they need to know to be an assistant editor so that we, when they go into that interview for their first job, they don't have to worry about the fact that they've never had a job before because they already have this, the skill set that the company that's hiring is looking for. Yeah. Um, and is that's this sort live of what or recorded? So it used to be live. Okay. Uh, before COVID, everything we would do we would do actual classes in person in Burbank. Um, and then uh, I we started recording the classes before COVID um, and doing actually doing a live stream. Um, and then COVID hit and I just decided to put all the classes up online for free. Uh, so the ones that are on there are the classes that were shot. All of them were shot before COVID. Um, but I'm also working on for, we, we have, we have like five different classes. One of them is a free class, which is the idea behind the class is that it's for people who are just trying to get started in the industry, started in post, I should say. Um, and it teaches you how to be an assistant editor in reality TV. I'm actually working on a new version of that class. That's based on the new version of media composer and should be much more useful than the one that's currently on the website. Nonetheless, if you are interested in being a reality assistant editor, I would definitely recommend checking it out. The, awesome. the current version. Yeah, yeah. One more time, give the URL. It's assistbootcamp.com. Awesome. Noah, thank you so much. If people want to get hold of you, just should they go there? Do you want to give an email? Uh, uh, yeah, or... you, can, you can email me at assistbootcamp at gmail.com. Okay, simple enough. Yeah, that's my email address. Um, yeah, if anybody is looking for a VFX editor or 
and any i mean these days i kind of do everything so <laughs> anything don't, at all don't we all <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no it's been a pleasure man thank you so much all right thank you i hope you enjoyed this episode of the transitioning to filmmaking podcast Remember, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to my channel, click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit the like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai, and tell me why. Finally, visit my site, creativespark.ai, for more podcast episodes, tutorials, and to read my daily journal, where I post how my transition to filmmaking is going. Until the next one, cheers. Cheers.